This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Today we're taking a look at uh, Acts chapter 2. We have uh, took a look at this uh, two weeks ago, and we're going to come back here for probably the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're taking a look at really the birth of the church as we know it. Uh, again, uh, we see Jesus ascended into heaven, and he told his apostles, wait here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when it does, I need you to go and tell people everything that you've seen. And so the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. Uh, the uh, apostles and, and believers gathered together, and Peter preached the gospel, Acts chapter 2. On that day, 3,000 people accepted Christ as Savior. Uh, they were saved, they were baptized, they were added to Jesus' church, and we began the church as we know it. As you read through the book of Acts, the church at Jerusalem would experience persecution. People began to be thrown in jail or uh, put to death. Uh, they began to lose their jobs and lose their homes, uh, kicked out of their families, and persecution came, and they began to scatter from Jerusalem into areas nearby, smaller communities or uh, sometimes even caves and mountains that they would go to live in. And as these believers went all throughout uh, the area of Israel there, these small groups of believers began to dot the landscape. And churches began to crop up here, there, and everywhere. And wherever Christians were gathered together, they would uh, gather together and worship and talk about the Bible. And uh, they would grow in their faith together. And they would pray together. And they'd have meals together. And then the church, as we know it, then became an unstoppable force because it's no longer centralized in one location. It now has multiple locations throughout the world And that really started the church as we know it today. But it all began here on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 is where we find ourselves this morning. Again, uh, Peter has already preached uh, the word to them. Uh, If you start in verse number, Acts chapter 2, verse number 38, and then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, People said, Hey, what should we do with the, the message that we heard? Verse 37, Peter says, You need to repent of your sins, you need to be baptized. Uh, you need to follow after Jesus Christ. And uh, verse number 40, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Verse 41 is an awesome verse. And they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Just pause there for a second. Verse 41, they gladly received his word. They weren't coerced into it. They weren't tricked into it. Uh, nobody had to uh, really kind of put the pressure on them. They gladly received the word. Uh, that's why here at Who We Call a Baptist Church, we take great care in sharing the gospel with people because we don't ever want somebody to feel forced into doing something. Uh, sometimes people will say, I don't know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. Can I have somebody talk with you and show you from the Bible? Sure. And when we do that, we never give any pressure or try to sell anybody on anything because here's the thing, we want people to gladly receive the word. And after they gladly received the word, you know what they also did? They were baptized. And again, nobody had to talk them into it or coerce them or make a deal with them to be baptized. That's why here at at Huikala, we ask people, hey, you've been saved, would you like to be baptized? If they say, no, I'm not ready, we don't push anybody or or try to strong arm anybody into it. No, these people wanted to be baptized. And so we see a a growth uh, pattern begin here uh, in verse number 41, verse 42. Then they continued steadfastly and the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. 
and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So here we see an amazing thing take place. Not only were these believers gathering together every single day, not only were they having meals together, not only did if somebody needed something, everybody would pitch in and make it happen. We see in verse number 47 that the Lord added to the church and people began to be added to the church. How often? Every single day people were being saved. That's an incredible, incredible move of God that was taking place here in the very first church. Uh, they, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They gathered together for meals. They gathered together for prayer. They gathered together for Bible study. And then every single day they were sharing their faith and people were coming to faith in Christ and the church grew exponentially during this time. But something really important happened at the very beginning that gave the church the ability to go the distance and that was what we sometimes refer to as discipleship. Now discipleship is just a matter of learning what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. It's teaching and training, giving you the tools that you need to get the job done. I don't know if you've ever uh, been uh, either volunteering or in a job somewhere where somebody says, well, here's kind of what you do, and you know, here's, here's this stuff. Uh, let me know if you need anything. And they walk off, and you realize, I have no idea what I'm doing. Have you ever been there before? It's just like, I kind of think i got a, a little bit of an idea of what I'm supposed to do, and I'm not really sure, and you feel kind of weird. Sometimes the church has been like that for people. Like, hey, show up, sing the songs that we sing, write some stuff down on some paper, and go home, and, and we'll try it again next week. And you're just like, uh, okay, I guess I'll try that. I'll give it a shot. But the Christian life was never meant to be like that. It was always meant to give you the training and tools that you need to live for Jesus, not just to like, hey, I'll give this a shot and see how it works. And God's process for training Christians is the process that we refer to as discipleship. Uh, I'd grown up in a Christian home and uh, went to church every single time the doors were open for 18 years. Uh, I joined the military out of high school and uh, nobody was checking up on my church attendance and so I kind of quit going, uh, except whenever I felt like it. And then uh, Angela and I met and we, uh, we'd be in dating and uh, through a series of conversations found out that she was also a Christian uh, and she'd gotten saved at a, as a 13-year-old girl at a, a Baptist revival when she was in middle school. And then uh, she had been a part of a church that didn't preach the gospel, didn't preach the word. She didn't really know a lot about the Bible. And so we were just really, really baby Christians. The church that I grew up in taught a lot of really good Bible stories. I knew a lot of facts about the Bible, but I didn't know what it meant to walk with Jesus. I didn't know what God expected of me. I never uh, had a desire to know God or to do what uh, he, his plan was for my life. And so we were just completely and totally green when it came to this idea of being a Christian. We both knew that we were saved. We knew we were on our way to heaven, but that's about all that we knew. Uh, again, I had grown up in church a lot. I knew a lot about the Bible. I don't think I knew a lot about who God was or what he expected of me or what it meant to be like Christ, but I knew a lot about the Bible. Angela didn't know anything at all. Uh, her, um, she went to church again. They kind of got together, and they did not preach the Bible. They never opened the Bible. Uh, they just told stories and kind of taught, taught you to be a good person and be a moral person. She never heard the gospel outside of the uh, revival service that she went to when she was a teenager at the church that she went to. And so when she graduated high school, her grandmother gave her a Bible and put her name in the front of it. And my wife said that she would often go to the Bible, but she didn't know where to read. Like, like many Christians, again, not having any type of training, they're just like, well, 
the Bible's so big, where do I read? And so she tried to start at the beginning, but it got really difficult. She didn't really know what she was reading. And then she began to ask around people that she knew of that, uh, that knew about the Bible. And they would say things like, well, you can't really trust all of the Bible. And the Bible was written by man. And it's been passed down for thousands of years and we can't really trust it. And so she began to be really confused about what uh, it meant to, to read the Bible even. And so she read in the very beginning of the Bible and the, kind of like the table of contents and things like that. It says, the words of Christ are in red. And so she thought to herself, well, if Jesus said it, at least I can believe that part of the Bible. And so she began to skim through the Bible and find places where there was a lot of red ink. And so she got to, she said, I went through the whole first half of the Bible and there was nothing there. <laughs> yes, that's called the Old Testament. Uh, and so we're having this conversation. I'm sitting here listening to this. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm a baby Christian. She's a baby Christian. My mom listening to this. And goes, yeah, of course, there's no red letters in the Old Testament. What were you thinking? And so then she said, but I got to the book of Matthew. And she said, and there was so much red. And like, she was like, chapters like five. And I was just like, it's a Sermon on the Mount. She's like, yeah. Is that the word, part where he says where everybody's blessed? And I said, yeah. And she began to just rattle off the Sermon on the Mount like nobody I've ever heard in my entire life. And I go, wow, you know a lot about the Bible. She goes, no, no, a lot, I know a lot about that passage. I go, why? And she goes, because that's the only passage that I ever read, ever. Like, like ever, ever, like ever, ever. That's a, the only part that I thought, I can trust this because it's in red. And so then me and my, my uh, again, baby, baby Christian began to tell her, no, all of the Bible is good. You know, all of it is, 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 is good. From cover to cover, you can trust all of it. She's like, well, I never knew that. And I thought to myself, what kind of church did you go to where you couldn't even trust the Bible? And she began to tell me about her church. And I was like, that's a terrible church. Uh, and so... The idea here was that both of us didn't have a clue really what we were doing as far as walking with Jesus. We got plugged into a good Bible preaching church and there was a, a couple who really took us under their wings, Pat and Jane Smith. Uh, and they began a process that we didn't know at the time. They didn't really have a name for it called discipleship where we just spent a lot of time together. And I would ask questions about our faith. Like, hey, can you lose your salvation? And no, you can't lose your salvation. And here's why. Well, what about people who have never heard the gospel before? What happens to them? They would take us to passages of scriptures and explain that to us. And I would say, well, you know, if we're really Christians, shouldn't we live this way or that way? They take us to passages of the Bible. We'd talk about that for hours and hours and hours. And over a couple, period of probably a couple of years, Pat and Jane Smith really poured their life into Angela and I and really helped us learn what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. We didn't know it at the time, but we later realized that was discipleship. And they taught us the things that they had learned from the Bible about what it meant to be a committed follower of Jesus, and they passed it on to us. And I'm telling you this, it changed my life, and it has changed the life, really, of our church family, this idea of discipleship, learning what the Bible says and how it applies to our everyday life. So take a look at this passage this morning, some important thoughts I want you to, to jot down if you're taking notes. First of all, you need to understand that the church is a place of continued growth. I mentioned briefly last week that, that who we call is a church where you can come as you are, but you're never allowed to stay as you are. The Bible is that type of book. God accepts everyone unconditionally, loves everyone unconditionally. We, God receives us just as we are. I love that song, just as I am. Just as I am, I can come to God and he accepts me. But God says, you've got to change, son. There's some things in your life that don't please me and they need to change and the church is a place where we can continue to grow. If we take a look at verse number 42 in our text this morning, and they continued steadfastly. 
the idea of continuing steadfastly means that they're going to persist continually. The continuing steadfastly is not something they tried for a couple of days and it didn't really catch on for them and so they gave up on it. Continuing steadfastly meant this was part of their regular everyday life from here on out. You see, following Jesus isn't a thing that you ever get to check off of your to-do list. Being a disciple of Jesus is never something we get to cross off and say that we've got that done. It's a lifelong process that we have to walk through. And so when they continued steadfastly, this is something that they stayed at again and again and again. Oftentimes in talking to people, uh, I'll say, um, I'll invite people to church and say, well, I went to church for a while and it wasn't really my thing. Well, how long did you go? I went for a couple of months and it didn't really do anything. Sometimes people say, well, you know, I, I feel like uh, I'm not really getting a lot out of the church. And there's so many things that are flawed with that statement that we don't have time to unpack today. But I often tell people this, if I went to the gym, let's just say twice a month, and I get on the treadmill, and I put it on two miles per hour, and I walk like this, and I'm flipping channels on the TV there while I'm walking like this, and I do that for 20 minutes, and I go home, and I sit on the couch, and I watch Netflix, and I eat Oreo cookies, and I order a pizza from Domino's, and I have a two-liter Mountain Dew with that, and before I go to bed, I have a big plate of brownies, and then the next morning I wake up and I do the exact same thing except I go into the gym part because I'm only gonna go to the gym once, twice a month max. You'd say, I'd say, the gym just doesn't work. I'm not seeing the results that I thought that I would, but the problem is, is that you're not committed to something. And the idea of allowing God to change your life is being committed to it. Unfortunately, there are people in our church, maybe some here this morning, who church is just something that they do on the weekends something that they show up for, they check it off their list, they call it good until the following week. You're completely and totally missing the point of what God expects from your life. God wants a full commitment from you. And these new Christians, baby Christians here, what do they do? They didn't know a lot, they just know, we need to continue doing this, we need to stay after this. I love what the Apostle Paul says to the Church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He's like, hey, I want you to stay after this whole Christian walk thing, but I don't want you to stay stagnant. I want you to continue taking a step up. You need to continue to grow. You need to continue to be more useful to Jesus Christ. And so the church is a place where you can continue to grow. Oftentimes people will move from here to another city and they'll ask questions like, what type of church do I look for? And uh, give them a couple of guidelines and things like that. But I usually give about three guidelines. I say these three are really, really important. Number one, they need to preach solid biblical doctrine. The preaching needs to be good. Secondly, you have to ask yourself the, this question. Is this a place where me or my family can grow? Third, you need to ask this question. Is this a place where me and my family can serve and be used? If you cannot answer yes to all three of those, you need to find a different church. There are churches that are so large and so big that they don't need you to work. They wouldn't know if you were there uh, this Sunday or next. Uh, they're so large that it's basically a system ran almost like a business or a company. It's very, uh, very vanilla, very plain. They just need more bodies to fill slots. And that's not the type of environment we need to be in. We need to be in a place where we look at our unique talents and abilities and how God's gifted us and how can I use what God's given me and serve in that capacity. And it has to be a place where we can grow. 
Again, I need to be able to listen to Bible preaching that challenges me, that helps me to be a better Christian, that teaches me from the Bible. Is this a place where I can grow through the preaching and teaching of God's Word? Is this a place where I can commit to and begin to, to develop as a Christian? So the church is a place of continued growth, but also the church is a place of discipleship. So if you see these new Christians, they don't really know what to do, so what do they do? Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. We talk about discipleship. We have a discipleship course here at Huey College. It's called Continue. It's a 14-week-ish program where you go through major doctrines of the Bible, and we talk about what it means to be a committed follower of Christ, and uh, your partner's going to ask you some really pointed questions. Uh, uh, we, in the section where we talk about giving, your partner's going to ask you, hey, are you, are you faithfully giving? He talks about Bible reading. Hey, are you reading your Bible every day? Are you, are you spending good quality time in prayer? Hey, here's how you share your faith. Have you ever shared your faith with somebody before? Provides an extra layer of accountability, but discipleship is not a 14-week class that you take or a, a partner, one partner that you have. Discipleship is the process of becoming a committed follower of Jesus for the rest of your life. And discipleship never ends. If we're defining terms, a disciple is a committed follower of Jesus. That's a, the, the definition of a disciple. Now again, if I tell you that I'm a disciple of the Los Angeles Lakers, you would imagine that I know a lot about the Lakers. You would imagine that I, I know how many championships that they've won or who their MVPs were in, in certain years or uh, who was the, the, the team that, that uh, won the most regular season games and things like that. If I were a disciple, I could be able to tell you those things, rattle those things off. You'd be able to go in my closet and pick out, you know, different Lakers jerseys and what they meant to me and my different Lakers warm-ups that I had. And I wear these shoes only when I play basketball on these certain days because uh, this, is how, this is how Kobe wore his shoes and things like that because I was a disciple, right? But here's the problem. I'm not a disciple of the Lakers. I'm a casual fan. I love, if you ask me basketball, I love the Lakers. Uh, but that's kind of where it ends. If you ask me to name Five guys that are on the current Lakers roster right now, I probably couldn't name five. You ask me how many games I watched this past season? Zip. None whatsoever. I didn't watch any. But I'm telling you, if the game's on, I'll watch it. If I'm in, in, in L.A. and there's a game, man, I want it to be as close as I can to the action. I enjoy watching a game, but it's just not something that's going to, you know, run my life. I was excited because the Lakers were going to make the playoffs this year. That was going to be exciting. The whole season got canceled. But how long has it been since the Lakers were in the playoffs? I, don't, I think 10 years or so, I'm not sure. You know why? Because I'm a casual fan. The problem is many people who call themselves Christians today are not committed followers of Jesus. They're just kind of casual fans. Oh, I'm a committed follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple. What's your favorite Bible verse? Um, I don't know, that one that talks about uh, God and his love. Uh, mm, okay. What would you say is the biggest change that your faith has made in your life? Uh, I'm... I'm uh, I don't know. I like that one song that I hear on the radio, though. <laughs> Got it. There's a difference between being a casual fan and being a committed follower of Jesus. When you're a committed follower of Jesus, Jesus is life. It's everything. It changes the way that I think. It changes the words that I say. It changes the entertainment that I watch. It changes the people that I spend time with. It might even change my vocation, what I do to be able to put money in my pocket to be able to serve God because it affects every part of my life if I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. And discipleship is just the process of becoming a committed follower of Jesus. 
This is just the, the process that we go through to, te to teach, to train someone how to become a committed follower of Jesus. God's plan throughout Scripture is always that our faith would be passed on from person to person. Always. It's helpful uh, to hear Bible preaching. Bible preaching is part of the discipleship process. Uh, being a part of a church family is part of the discipleship process. It's so important that we would not allow someone to enroll in our discipleship program if they did not attend church regularly because discipleship really begins with the body from the pulpit, hearing the preaching and teaching of God's word. It's that important to us. But learning how to carry your faith out takes place in a one-to-one -one environment. That's God's plan. You see, Jesus, what did he do? He didn't take 200 people and try to lead them. You know what he did? He took 12 men and tried to lead them. And he spent a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with those 12 men. Out of those 12 men, there were probably three that he poured more time into than he did the rest of the other nine. Peter, James, and John spent a lot of time pouring into them. It's so important that when, when Paul became a Christian, and he went to talk to the apostles. The apostles didn't want anything to do with him because he was known to be a Christian killer. And Barnabas had to vouch for Paul, say, no, no, Paul's a good dude. He's a good brother. You need to accept him. You need to receive him. And then they accepted him timidly. But you know who actually ended up teaching Paul one-on-one -on -one the major doctrines of the Bible and what it meant to be a Christian? Jesus Christ himself. So Christ, post-resurrection, came and taught Paul in person what it meant to be a committed follower of Christ. So what did Paul do with that information? Well, he passed her to church for sure. But did Paul pour into anybody else individually, kind of one-on-one -on -one, to help them to be a committed follower? He did. Timothy, wrote two, two letters to Timothy that we have as part of the Bible, a man by the name of Titus, who was also a local church pastor. He wrote to him on how to be a good pastor and how to lead a church. We also see other people throughout Scripture, Priscilla and Aquila, who are co-workers of Paul, that Paul helped to learn to be committed followers of Jesus. And Paul spent a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with people, teaching them and training them to be committed followers of Jesus Christ. It's God's plan for, for Christian growth. Jesus himself sets the criteria of what it means to be a disciple. I'll just tell you right now, not everybody can be a disciple of Jesus Christ. They can't. Believe it or not, we've actually fired people from our discipleship program. I hate to say it that way, but that's kind of what happened. Because you take people who are marginally committed, people who think, oh, this might be fun. Oh, I might give this a shot. In our discipleship program, there's a lot of uh, expectations that we have. We require that you, that you show up every week with your, your partner, that you've been praying and reading your Bible throughout the week and that if there's any assignments that you were supposed to accomplish, you got those done and if there's any memory work that needs to be done that you committed the time to that. And we've had people before who show up late, forget their book, uh, don't show up at all, uh, don't have any of their verses memorized, didn't do any of the homework. And we'll just tell them, hey, just uh, join in a connect group or go home because you're not doing the work. Simple as that. And you say, well, that's really mean. That, that's, that's harsh. Who do you think you are to set the criteria for discipleship? We didn't. Luke chapter 9, verse number 23, Jesus did. And he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And he says this, for whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall give his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus says this, get over yourself if you want to follow me. 
Because discipleship isn't about you, discipleship is about Jesus. Discipleship is not about what you can get from it, it's about what you can give to Jesus. And Jesus says, no man can come after me unless he will deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's the only way that you can be a disciple. You say, well, that costs a lot. Absolutely. It costs us really everything. But it's so incredibly worth it. Discipleship is ridiculously important to us because discipleship is part of the Great Commission. We're called in the Great Commission to go, win, baptize, teach. That's the Great Commission. The teach portion of that is the process of discipleship. The teach portion of that is what you're receiving this morning, Bible teaching from the Bible. So the Great Commission, if it is the mission of the church, which it is, discipleship is so important. And again, if you have a church who is not fulfilling the Great Commission, they're not a church. You have a church who's neglecting discipleship. They're not fulfilling all of the Great Commission the way that God intended. Matthew 28, verse number 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's the phrase there that talks about how important discipleship is. Jesus didn't just say, go out and make a lot of converts. Go out and get a lot of people to pray, and here's a pet peeve of mine, I hate this phrase. Get a lot of people to go out and pray the sinner's prayer. Never said that. Jesus says, go and make disciples, committed followers of me. Jesus is interested in big crowds. Jesus actually was a disperser of large crowds. If you read John chapter six, Jesus had just fed thousands of people. Everybody was waiting for the next miracle to come by. And Jesus says, hey, if you want to be part of this, you've got to be willing to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Everybody looked around and go, well, that's not really what we signed up for. And the Bible says in John 6, 66, from that day forward, many went away and walked with him no more. Jesus had thousands of followers. And at that point, the majority of them left and never came back. You know why? Because Jesus is not interested in crowds. He's interested in committed followers. That's why at Huicala, I have no desire whatsoever to pastor a large church that has large gatherings. I have a burning desire in the pit of my soul to pour into committed Christians to help them be more committed and to pass their faith on to other people. Look, if, if our whole model of reaching people with the gospel is get to this address and maybe you'll hear it, we're sunk, folks. And then everything becomes dependent upon this building and this person. But if you can live out the gospel in your community, on your street, in your workplace, at your school, then the gospel is unstoppable. Now it's not a matter of come and see, it's a matter of watch and see. That's the whole plan of this. That's why Jesus gave us the Great Commission. Discipleship, again, is not something we can check off of our list. Discipleship is a lifelong process. I'm currently in the middle of my discipleship process. I'm still growing. I'm still working. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to be more like Jesus. I'm still trying to surround myself with people who are a little bit further down the road from me and glean wisdom from them. Pastor friends who've been in the ministry a little bit longer than me who I'm trying to get wisdom from on how to be a better pastor. 
trying to read books on uh, how to be a better pastor, how to be a better husband, how to be a better father, how to be a better Christian, how to get more quality time from prayer, how to share your faith more effectively. I'm, I'm, I'm a student of this stuff. Why? Because I've committed to be a disciple. And this will take you the rest of your life. John chapter 8, verse number 31, and then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Here's what Jesus says. Here's how you be a disciple. Keep on doing it. And you could say this, disciples don't quit. If you're a real committed follower of Jesus, you might go through peaks and valleys, and everybody does that. But you're not going to quit. You're not going to give up. Because Jesus says, if you're my disciple, you'll continue in my word. Bottom line is this. Every Christian must go through some form of discipleship. Every Christian must go through some form of discipleship. I will say that till the day that I die. I had been saved for probably, I don't know, 15 years before I went through the process of discipleship, and I would basically chalk up the first 15 years just as a wash. I did nothing for the cause of Christ. I did nothing to develop my relationship with Jesus. I did nothing of any eternal significance whatsoever. It was just kind of a wash. Unless we look back at our life with regret and shame and guilt about the wasted years that we have, just know this, God is not concerned about what happened yesterday. God's concerned about what's happening today and what's going to happen tomorrow. So if you feel that way, that, oh, wasting so much time, stuff like, first of all, get over yourself. Second of all, get to work. I'm not going to let another day pass that I waste for the cause of Christ. There's wasted years in the past. They're wasted, and I'm just going to move forward with a greater fervency. But we need to be taught, we need to be trained, we need someone looking out for us, we need mentoring. And God has given us a place to do that, and it's called the local church. That's why we exist, that's why we're here. As a Christian, you should have somebody who is going to take you under their wing and help you to grow and help you to, to learn the things that you need to learn and answer the questions that you might have. You need that, I need that. And for our continued discipleship program, which starts this Wednesday, and it's not too late to sign up if you're interested in it. The idea is we're going to partner you up with another Christian who's going to take you under their wing and help you and grow you. I have some men that I'm taking through the discipleship process right now. But here's what, the great part about discipleship is that as you learn and grow in your faith, you then get to the point where you take what you've learned and you pass it on to somebody else. That's the beauty of discipleship. The last six people that I personally had the opportunity to take through discipleship have discipled other people, are teaching small groups, are getting ready to teach other people this uh, next cycle that we have through here because discipleship is a cycle process that we go through. If everybody has to be discipled by the pastor, this is gonna take forever. But if we can empower people that are already walking with Jesus to be more committed in their faith so that they can pass it on to someone else, it's unstoppable. That's the biblical plan for discipleship. So if you're interested in signing up for that, do it today because tomorrow morning we're gonna start partnering people up and give you the tools that you need uh, to kick this thing off this coming Wednesday. Right now we're gonna start it virtually when we get to the point where we're meeting back in person again. You guys can meet up in, in person if you like to or if you wanna grab uh, coffee during the week and do discipleship, you're welcome to do that. But here's the thing. It's so critical. It's so important. Everybody has to do it. And let me just say this since it's Father's Day, 
Dads, you should be the chief discipler for your home. Discipleship really begins in the home. Uh, I had two Christian parents. They were first-generation Christians. They didn't know what they were doing. They just knew, let's take our kids to church and try to do the right thing. My parents did exactly that, and it helped me. But imagine if, I sometimes look back and think if my parents had known what it meant to be committed Christians, how they could have taught me and trained me. But again, that's in the past, can't change that, but here's what I can do. God's given me four human beings under my roof that I'm responsible for raising. You know what I have to do? I have to help them be committed followers of Jesus Christ. That's it. Discipleship begins in the home. And again, you might say, oh, my parents didn't give me what I needed. Good, join the club. Uh, cry for a minute, get over it, and then we'll start the process of discipleship. Now we've got to own this. Now we have to move forward through this. Dads, you should be the chief theologian for your home. You say, well, I don't have any kids. Great. Husband, you should be the chief theologian for your home. You should be able to answer the Bible questions. You say, well, I don't really know a lot. Good. Get to work. Well, I might come up against something that I don't know. Great. That's why God's given you a pastor to help walk you through that process. But you got to be the man for your home because God has given the man the spiritual leadership role for the home. And discipleship begins there. So the church is a place of continued growth. It's a place of discipleship. It's also a place that is immersed in doctrine. Take a look at verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly. They committed to it every single day. What did they commit to? The apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The word doctrine uh, is actually a word that comes from the Latin word doctrina, which means teaching or instruction. And it's a codification of beliefs or a body of teachings and instructions taught principles and positions. When we talk about doctrine, we're talking about a body of truth that we subscribe to from the Bible. That's doctrine. Doctrine comes, you ready to say this is really important, strictly from the Bible. That's it. Doctrine doesn't come from what I think, what you think, what's popular today. One definition put it this way, doctrine is a theological formulation that attempts to provide a summary statement, the teaching of scripture on a particular theological topic. Doctrine is formed by faithful adherence to scripture and is not based on the traditions of the church or the thought patterns of the day. Doctrine is a body of truth stated in such a way that contemporary people can understand the teaching of the ancient scriptures. It's a really, really big flowery definition of what doctrine is, but here's what doctrine is. It's a body of truth that we glean from the Bible. For example, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. That is a Bible doctrine that we hold to based on scripture. Well, well what if somebody else is really, really committed in their faith? Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's what doctrine says. Well, that's not very popular today. I don't really care what's popular because Jesus says in John 14, 6, Again, going back to the Bible, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Bible also says in John chapter three, he that believeth on the Son hath life. He that believeth not on the Son of God hath not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. From that teaching, we find that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. That's a doctrine. And if you say, this is getting really important. 
If you say that there's another way to heaven other than Jesus, we would call that false doctrine and false teaching. And that's not a good thing. So when it comes to doctrine, we, we derive all of our doctrine from the Bible. We do what we do from the Bible. Why do we do discipleship? Because the Bible tells us. What's the process that we use to do that? One person to one person or one person to a really, really tiny group of people. Where do we get that from? From the Bible. We would say that the virgin birth of Christ is a doctrine that we adhere to. The Bible tells us again and again that Mary was a virgin. That was really important because uh, Romans chapter five, the Bible tells us that sin came by Adam and sin has passed upon all men, for all men have sinned. And because of our sin, we will die one day. That's a doctrine that we adhere to. All men are sinners. That's a doctrine that we adhere to. We say that those that perish without Christ will spend eternity without him. That's the doctrine of hell. We talk about God's wrath and judgment. That's a doctrinal position that we adhere to. If you go to our church website and look at what we believe, there's a, a brief doctrinal statement there. You get a copy of our church constitution and bylaws. It has a more lengthy uh, doctrinal statement that we have there. But doctrine is so critical to us because it describes what we believe based on the Bible. And the church is a place of doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16. If you go through discipleship, this will be one of the ver very first verses that you memorize. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Bible tells us that all Scripture, every bit of it, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, is inspiration. The word inspiration literally means God-breathed. These aren't the thoughts of God. The Bible isn't just some things that kind of point us to God. The Bible is the Word of God because God Himself breathed out these words. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. That means it's good for you. In what areas? First of all, for doctrine. This tells you what is right. It tells me what's right. For reproof, reproof tells me what is wrong. So doctrine tells me what's right. Reproof tells me what's wrong. For correction, correction tells me how to fix what's wrong. And for instruction in righteousness, which tells me how to keep everything right. So what's right, what's wrong, how to fix what's wrong, and how to stay right. That's what the Bible does. Huh. It's almost like it tells you what to do for life. Exactly. So we need to know what the Bible says so we can live it out. We need good doctrine in our life so we can know how to carry that out. It is absolutely impossible for you to grow as a Christian apart from the Word of God. Impossible, not improbable, it's impossible. You cannot grow without the Bible. You just can't. That's why we at Hui Kala have such a commitment to Bible teaching, Bible preaching. Every single time you come, we're gonna open the, the Word of God. We're gonna teach you what it means and what you need to do to live by it. Every single time. We've committed time, energy, resources to discipleship, to teach people how to live out their faith. You that have enrolled in discipleship, you'll receive a book that you're receiving at no cost to you. Our church is making an investment in you because we believe that this will change your life if you'll commit to it. It's that important. It's that big of a deal to us because it's that big of a deal to God. You need to know your faith so that you can live it out and you cannot grow as a Christian apart from the Bible. 
That's why we encourage you. Read your Bible every single day. Every day. Uh, your first time that you came, you probably received a devotional book. It had 365, a year's worth of devotionals that you can spend time in God's word every single day. It'll tell you a, a thought from the Bible and what you can do with it every single day because this is the way that you grow as a Christian. But you gotta commit to it. Doctrine is the glue that holds the church together. Sometimes people ask the question, well, how are Baptists different from Methodists? The answer to that is doctrine. Well, how are Baptists different from Episcopalians? The answer to that is doctrine. What makes a Baptist different from fill in the blank, doctrine? What makes Baptists different than Catholics? Doctrine. What makes us different than Jehovah's Witnesses? Doctrine. What makes us different than Scientologists? Doctrine. The body of truth that we adhere to separates us from everybody else. And again, the term Baptist primarily has historically just meant biblicist. We just believe what the Bible says, that's it. We don't do the Bible plus dreams and, and signs and wonders. We don't do the, the, the Bible plus, you know, new words of prophecy. We don't do the, the Bible plus what this other so-called apostle has said. We just do the Bible, simple as that. He said, well, hasn't everybody always done that? No. Many churches are the Bible plus church history or church tradition or the way that we've always done things. Some churches have been the, uh, the Bible plus an additional book that will guide us. Doctrine is what keeps the church together. I'm not ashamed to say that our church is a Baptist church, again, because Baptist historically has meant Bible-believing, strictly sticking with the Scriptures. Simple as that. Now, if you were to say, for example, say what makes us different than Catholics? The Catholics actually have a book called The Catechism of the Catholic Church, and you should, it's probably this thick. You should get it sometime and read through it. It'll blow your mind, absolutely blow your mind. Uh, growing up as a, a kid in, in Kentucky, there weren't a lot of uh, Catholic churches. I mean, there's probably 75 Baptist churches in the town that I grew up in of about 400 people. Uh, 75 churches for, four, I'm sorry, 4,000 people. But there was like one Catholic church like 30 minutes away. Nobody was Catholic there. And so I, I'd heard of Catholics before and I you see it on TV and stuff like that, but I didn't know anything about it. And so I joined the military, met some folks who were Catholic, me again, have some dialogue with them. And again, it was all conjecture, but I bought a copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I want to see from the Catholic Church what they believe. I don't want to read online. I want to watch YouTube videos. I want to get it straight from the horse's mouth. And I was absolutely blown away by what I read. And they said, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, there are two things that guide our beliefs. Two things. The Word of God and church tradition. And it puts those on an even playing field. And if they disagree, which one wins? Church tradition. And you look at that and go, you've got to be kidding me. Stop, like, stop, time out. Like, did you really just say that? You, yeah, they really did. Through there, they say that the Pope can speak ex cathedra, which means literally from the chair. And whatever the Pope says in, as the office of the Pope stands in the same authority as Scripture. As the Pope decides that, you know, all people who make over $100,000 automatically go to heaven. The Pope could say that and it automatically becomes true because, <laughs> I can't make this up. The Pope is the vicar, V-I-C-A-R, of Christ. He stands in place of Christ, vicariously in place of Christ. And if he speaks, it's just like Jesus himself speaking. You look at that and you go, wait, wait, wait. This is like blasphemous. Yes. So 
But I know Catholics that are really good people. I do too. I know atheists that are good people. I know Jehovah's Witnesses that are good people. I know Mormons that are good people. Being a good person and being solid with your doctrine are not the same thing. Doctrine is the glue that holds the church together, but doctrine divides us against basically everyone who would deny the Bible. And so doctrine not only unites the church, but it also divides us against everybody else. And you say, well, that's a terrible thing in a time where we need unity. Yeah, I know, but that's what Jesus said. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. <laughs> so his first letter to Timothy on how to be a good pastor, chapter number 1, verse number 3, he says this, As I besought thee to abide at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, I left you in Ephesus while I went somewhere else, Thou mightest charge some that teach no other doctrine. Hey, talk to the guys that are teaching false doctrine and, and give them a checkup. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside into vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Timothy, be careful because there's people out there who want to talk, but they don't know what they're talking about. They proclaim to be teachers of the word, but they don't even know the word. They're just making a lot of noise. Vain jangling, that's what he says there. And so, Let's be very, very clear, though, this morning that doctrine is not a source of pride for us. We don't stick our, our chest out and peacock like we got the truth and you don't. No, 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 no. What Paul just said to Timothy there, this needs to be done in love and charity. We need to lovingly share with people who are steeped in false doctrine, false truth, that there is a way, and his name is Jesus but this is a big deal. Second Timothy, I'm sorry, Second John chapter number one, verse number nine, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of God of Christ hath borne the son. John actually said this, if you deny Jesus Christ and good doctrine, you're not a Christian. We would say if you deny the virgin birth of Christ, you are not a Christian because that is a requirement to be a Christian. If you deny that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, you are not a Christian. If you deny the fact that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, you are not a Christian. Because these are essential Bible doctrines. Look, if Jesus was not God, then his death for our sins was meaningless. He was just another dude that died a terrible death. And just know this, people have died a lot worse deaths than Jesus did. So if he was just another dude that died, we're in a heap of trouble. And so you cannot be a Christian and proclaim that Jesus Christ was not God. You can't be a Christian and say that Jesus did not resurrect from the grave. Well, the Bible says, you, the Bible says that, Jesus, that Christ be not risen. We're still in our sins. And so again, we have to allow the dividing line to be doctrine. Does this mean that I can't be friends with someone who uh, believes differently than me? That doesn't mean you can't be friends or friendly with people. But you need to understand that, that these two things are not the same. One of these things is not like the other. Just because someone calls themselves Christian does not make them Christian. Just because a book is in the Christian section at the Christian bookstore does not make it a Christian book. <laughs> I have to confess. I've already confessed it to the Lord, so I'll confess it to you. There was a time when I was a cavalier and probably uh, somewhat rebellious that I took all of Joel Osteen's books and moved them to the fiction section at Barnes & Noble one time. 
I confess that I did that. I'm sorry for it. Uh, but um, just because you call yourself Christian does not make it Christian. How do we, well then, how are we supposed to know? You know the Bible and you run everything through the, the filter of Scripture. You become a discerning Christian. You're careful with the books that you read. You're careful with the music that you listen to. You're careful with, with everything that comes across that calls itself Christian. There's an outstanding documentary that's available on Netflix right now called American Gospel. And I had somebody uh, email me and say, hey, Pastor, I saw this documentary. I just saw the trailer for it. What do you think about it before I watch it? I love that because this is a person who said, I want to be discerning on this, and I don't just want to take something because it calls itself Christian. I said, every Christian in America needs to watch this documentary. It's, it's that powerful. It talks about the, the, the false gospel of the prosperity gospel. It talks, it's got some really good, solid doctrine in it. And like, even as a pastor, I'm watching this going, I want to give caveats to this. I, I really couldn't find a whole lot wrong with it. And they actually made a second part that you can uh, rent on Amazon. It's a, absolutely phenomenal. But it talks about it's so full of doctrine. Look, in life, you can afford to get some things wrong. Doctrine isn't one of them. You can afford to, to get a bad haircut. <laughs> Everybody's gotten one of those before. You can abor- uh, You can deal with poor fashion choices. I've done that before. When I was in high school, I thought it would be really cool. We went to, um, we'd gone to Nashville, which was like two hours from the town that I grew up in, and we went to the mall in Nashville. And I found a red suit that I thought was awesome. Red jacket, red pants. I'm not talking about maroon. I'm talking like fire engine red, like red, red. And I thought, this is cool. And I bought a black shirt to go under it, and I had a white tie. How cool was that, Right? I look back, I, my mom showed me a photo of it one time, and I was just like, please get rid of that photo. I made poor choices. I'm sorry for that. I've repented. Let it be. One time I thought it would be really cool uh, for me to dye my hair. and I, I was going to bleach my hair white. I thought, man, that would be really cool. And so uh, Angela um, didn't want to be a part of it, but she said, you're going to mess your hair up if you do it. And so she basically did it. And so the more that you bleach, you have to leave it on there longer. And basically, I got the cheapest stuff that you could do it with. And the longer that left, my hair was like a Brillo pad. It was awful. I mean, my hair was breaking off and everything. Terrible idea. And in case you're wondering, I look terrible with blonde hair. It's just not for me, right? You can make some poor choices in life and get on with life. Doctrine is not one of those. You can't say, well, we're, we're 50% there. I know people who go to churches who have said to me with their own mouth, I know the gospel that they preach isn't the right gospel, but I love the music there. Stop it. Just stop it. I know they don't really preach the Bible there, but I love the community aspect of it. Look, I love the community aspect of the gym that I go to, too. I'm not making it my church, though. And so doctrine has to be one of those things we're not willing to negotiate. Here's what John says about false doctrine. First, second John were written to combat false doctrine. A lot of the New Testament letters that were written to churches were to combat false doctrine. And John says in second John, chapter number one, verse number 10, if there be any come to you and bring not this doctrine, if somebody comes to you with false doctrines, here's what you do. Receive him not into your house, Neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. Oh, my word. This is big. Here's what John says. Don't be buddy-buddy with somebody who believes false doctrine because you are a partaker of that. 
I went to lunch with a guy one time um, who was uh, planning on planning a church here in Honolulu, and we were probably two years old at that point. He wanted to talk to somebody who had you know, planned a church here and get some ideas and stuff like that. And the more that we began to talk, I realized that this man was, was, did not believe doctrinally the way that we did and probably was not a Christian. He believed things like you could lose your salvation. He believed that, that you know, people who had never heard the gospel could still be saved and go to heaven without ever hearing the gospel. Um, you know, a lot of really kind of stuff that would even be outside the realm of Orthodox Christianity. And I realized this guy's not a Christian. And so I began to share truth with him from, from the Bible and shared the gospel with him. And we talked through scripture and stuff like that. And dude was just flat out not hearing it. Um, and, you know, he began to talk about, you know, signs, wonders, and miracles and a dream that he had and a word of prophecy that somebody spoke over him at a conference. And I realized this guy was not adhering to faithful scripture. And I said to him, I, I think we're just way different. And, um, and I, I'm just gonna have to leave it at that. And he said, well, could you have a word of prayer for us? <laughs> I don't think you want me to do that. I wrote, no, I'd really appreciate if you have a word. Good, okay, well, let's do that. And again, you can say that it was, was pompous or rude or prideful or whatever, but I prayed for him that he would find a good doctrine, that if he was not, <laughs> I prayed with this guy. Lord, I pray if this, this man here is not saved, that he would be saved today. It's clear that he does not place the importance on Scripture that you do. And I pray for him that if he's not saved, that he would be saved. And I pray that you would truly give him direction from your word, not from another person or from dreams or prophecy of what his next step is. I pray that you would protect those that might come under his leadership, that they would not be washed away with false doctrine. And this guy, you can see him like gripping his napkin at the table and everything. I was just like, I really hope that you can come back to God's word and find truth there. I didn't say I hope things work out for you. Hey, God bless you, brother. Hey, hope, let me know if you need anything. I didn't say that. You know why? Because the Bible says, don't bid them Godspeed if they carry a false doctrine. You're a partaker of their evil deeds at that point. So again, doctrine has to be divisive for us. That's why, again, you know, I'll never probably ever attend like a mayor's prayer breakfast or anything like that where I'm gonna get together with, with Catholics and Episcopalians and Muslims and pray for peace on earth. I'll pray for peace on earth with people that I believe are committed Christians. But we're not gonna gather together with people who don't believe what we believe. And so sometimes people say, well, well, don't we need unity? Yes, absolutely, 100%. But we all must agree on what is the point of our unity. Is our point of unity the fact that we call ourselves Christians together or we believe in a higher power? Or is our unity the Bible? And God wants Christians to be united around God's word. And again, please, don't un please understand, I'm not saying that we're the only church in town with the truth. I'm not saying that, that you have to have a, be a Baptist church to be on the right path. I'm saying that the Bible has to be your final authority on all matters of faith and practice. If you get the Bible plus anything, you've ran afoul of good doctrine. It's a big deal. Next, the church is not only a place of growth, not only a place of discipleship, not a place of immersion doctrine. The church is also a place to practice your faith. You continue to read on here in Acts chapter two, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. The church is a place where you can live out your faith. I love it. One of my things that I absolutely love is when people come to who we call it and they've never really prayed with other people before. Great, this is a great opportunity for you to grow. Man, Wednesday night, come to a connect group. Join us in one online, we're gonna pray if you've never prayed out loud before, good. This is gonna be a good opportunity for you. I wanna help you grow in that area. You know why? Because you're never gonna pray at a football game or a baseball game if you don't pray in your own church first. 
You're never going to gather a group of guys together that are grilling burgers one weekend and say, hey, guys, gather around, let's pray right quick. Unless you've practiced it somewhere, where can you practice? The church is a safe place to practice. You're never going to be able to love your neighbor and care for your neighbor if you're not loving for, on your church family first. It's a good place to practice it. And so this is a place where we can freely exercise our faith. It's a place we can grow. You see other people, the way that they serve. Let's see what they're doing. I want to do that. I see the way that they handled that situation. I want to handle it that way. I see that person over there with the Bible open going through the gospel, that person. I want to do that. Great. We'll give you all the tools and resources you need to grow into that, 100%. That's what we do. It's a place where you can practice your faith. Our core values that we have here at Who We Call a Baptist Church are to love, pray, give, serve, invest. It's on our front door. We have stickers. We have magnets. We have T-shirts. Why? Because it's how we do what we do, and this is the place that we do it. All of those are action words because discipleship, being a committed follower of Jesus requires that you actually do something. It's not enough to just say I'm a Christian. Oh, I think I prayed the sinner's prayer one time. I think I'm on my way to heaven. No. Again, there's no prayer in the Bible that you pray to, to be saved. There's faith and repentance in the Bible. If you haven't done those, you're not saved. And if you are saved, God wants you to grow now. Not just stay where you were. One of my pet peeves, <laughs> I've got a lot of pet peeves, when people make excuses. Well, I didn't really grow up in church. Good, now's a great opportunity to learn. You ever been around those people before who's just like, oh, I don't really know how technology works. You know, I've got this smartphone, I don't know how to use it. Spend 30 minutes, watch a YouTube video, figure it out. It's, it, it's not that difficult. Do it. Well, I didn't grow up in church. How long have you been a Christian? I've been a Christian for 10 years. Good. You've had 10 years that you should have grown that you didn't. Let's start today. Stop making excuses. We're going to begin now this process of growth. doesn't matter where you came from. doesn't matter you know, how many years you were living for yourself that you weren't living for the Lord. None of that matters today. Today, I'm going to ask you, what are you going to do moving forward? Are you going to grow in your Christian walk? Are you going to grow in your love for Christ and love for other people? This is a great place to do that. How do we do it? Four final thoughts and we're done. First of all, commit to a lifelong process of discipleship. I am going to grow for the rest of my life. If you've never gone through our continued discipleship course, sign up for it. There's still time. I'll give you 24 hours to sign up for it if you want to do it this time. And some of you say, my, my schedule's super busy right now. We'll do it again this fall. I promise you. But what you can't do is just say, I'm content being a baby Christian. I'm content not knowing anything about the Bible. I am okay with where I'm at right now because that's not God's plan. We all have to be growing. I got a handful of people in our church that uh, say, hey, Pastor, you get a good book you can recommend. Man, I got dozens of books I could recommend. And man, I'm handing out books left and right. I've got about two or three people that say, Hey, Pastor, I'm ready for that next book. And I'm kind of almost out of books to give them at this point. You know, it's just like, hmm, I got this one. Have you read this one? I read that one. How about this one over here? This is really good. I've read that one. This one here, I would even reread this one. I've read that one twice. It's just like, wow, you know? And that challenges me, man. I got to get on the, on the ball, you know? But this, these are people who just want to continue to grow. But one uh, single adult that lost their job during the uh, beginning of the pandemic, and they said to me, Pastor, I'm going to use this time to grow in my faith. Do you have any YouTube channels I could subscribe to, any books that I could read? 
Uh, any Bible studies that you'd recommend? And a good study Bible. Absolutely. Gave them those resources, and man, they just took it and ran with it. The idea is this. I never want to be content where I'm at. I want to be continually growing and get to the next level. So commit to a lifelong process of discipleship. Next, I'd encourage you to commit to, to church membership. Church membership is a level of accountability where you say, I want to love, pray, give, serve, and invest. I want to do more for the cause of Christ. I want to get involved. But it requires a commitment on your part. We have a, uh, our church constitution and bylaws. If you're interested in church membership, tell me. I'll send you all the information you know. I'll give you a copy of our church constitution and bylaws. It's about 27 pages that talk about, first of all, our doctrinal statement, but secondly, how we govern our church according to what the scriptures say. And for some people, it's just way too much information. If that's you, just skim it and uh, get, the, get the big parts out of it. Read the doctrinal statement for sure. Some people want to dig in deep. Man, dig in deep. I've had people who say, hey, pastor, can I schedule a meeting to talk with you? And they'll bring in a copy of that document with it highlighted. Man, I love stuff like that. It means you're taking it seriously. Along with that, there's about an hour-long video that I recorded that we can watch online and hear what it means to be a, a member of Huikala and different growth opportunities you have. But really, the benefit of, of being a member of Huikala is a level of accountability to your pastor. Hey, the people that, that aren't here today that are church members, I know who's not here and why they're not gonna be here because they're accountable you have somebody looking out for you and looking out for your Christian growth. It also gives you the opportunity to serve. Everybody who opened the door for you today, everybody who's gonna vacuum the, uh, the floor afterwards and gonna wipe down all the chairs, all those are church members who've committed to walking with Jesus and being a part of this church family. They've committed to love, pray, give, serve, invest. Church membership's a big deal. It's a commitment on your part. But also discipleship is too. Next, commit, your li- commit to building your life on solid doctrine. I'm going to put God's word above everything else. I've recommended people to go to churches before in, in towns that I've said, hey, look, the pastor's really goofy. <laughs> the church meets in a trailer. They have mismatched folding chairs. But the Bible preaching is solid, and they got good doctrine. They might not have a kid's program. Their music might be terrible but it's a solid place where I know that you can grow. And they would, they would delight to love your family. Why? Because doctrine is so important. Now, there might be a mega church up the street that has average doctrine, probably 75% there, but they got a good kids program, a big production and stuff like that. You're missing the point. Build your life on solid doctrine. I know people before who say, well, you know, I went to the, uh, uh, the Catholic church in my hometown because it was the only church there. Stay home. Do not be willing to sacrifice good doctrine. It's one of those things that I choose to build my life on because doctrine will determine the trajectory of the rest of my life. What I believe determines how I behave. And that's why we have to be 100% accurate when it comes to matters of doctrine. Final thought, determine where you can grow and commit to it. Maybe you know that your prayer life is lacking. Would you make a commitment to it today? Just start small. I always tell people, start small, manageable goals. Because I before have said, I'm going to pray 45 minutes every single day. And usually the first two days I'll make it, and after that it all falls apart. Maybe you could start by praying two minutes every morning. You say, well, that's not very long. Two minutes is a lot longer than zero minutes every single time. 
Maybe just commit to reading one proverb a day. There's 31 proverbs. You can read one proverb for every day. You can start in Proverbs 21 today, read Proverbs 22 tomorrow. One proverb for every day. Read it, commit to it. Well, that's not a lot of the Bible. I would rather you read one proverb than zero verses. Read one verse and commit it to memory. Memorize one verse a month. Well, that's not a lot of the Bible. One verse a month is better than zero verses a month. Start somewhere. What we cannot do is just be content where we are. We gotta continue to grow. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that you're saved, today is your opportunity to accept Christ as Savior. Maybe you were in a church before that didn't teach good doctrine. You thought maybe I could be saved by being a good person or maybe I could be saved by joining a church or maybe I could be saved by uh, religious acts like baptism or communion. That would save me. Friend, the only thing in the world that could save you is Jesus Christ and faith in him and repentance for your sin. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, be saved today. Maybe you need to be baptized. Two weeks from today, we'll baptize over at Alamona Beach Park. Actually, next Sunday, one week from today, we'll baptize. If you're interested in that, we have an opportunity for you to be baptized. Whatever the case, wherever you need to grow, let's make a commitment to it and move forward because the church is a place of continued growth. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.